Let's learn about Wharton Lauder and its joint MA MBA and MA JD programs for people with global interests and how it is managing in our COVID influenced travel challenged world. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Hello and welcome to the 465th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me today and whenever you can tune in. The featured resource for today's show is Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. Your application needs to show that you're going to do both. And that's a difficult paradox at the heart of admissions. Master that paradox and you are well on your way to acceptance. Download this free guide at accepted.com slash F-I-S-O. Again, it's accepted.com slash F-I-S-O. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Kara Keenan-Sweeney, Director of Admissions, Marketing, and Financial Aid at the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School and Penn Law School. Kara has an extensive background in graduate admissions, starting with her master's in higher administration at Columbia, and then moving on to admissions position at INSEAD, the University of Pennsylvania, Penn State, and now the Lauder Institute. Kara, welcome back to Admissions Straight Talk. Thanks, Linda. It's great to be with you. I'm so pleased to have you once again. Now, can you give us an overview of the Wharton Lauder program for those listeners who aren't that familiar with it? Sure. Uh, So the Lauder program was founded in the mid-1980s by the Lauder family uh, to work with Wharton to really help to educate and generate a new, very globally-minded group of business leaders. So students, when they come to the Lauder Institute, they're earning a Master of Arts in International Studies at the same time they're getting their MBA from Wharton. So basically, it's an MA-MA joint degree, fully integrated into the MBA program. And when students come to Lauder, they focus on one of our six programs of concentration. Five of those programs are regionally focused. So we have a program on Africa, East and Southeast Asia, Europe, Latin America, and then what we call the Samina region, or South Asia, Middle East, and North Africa. So that's our fifth regional program. And then we also have a global program. Uh, for our students who have already had fairly significant global experience. In our regional program, students are almost every case also focused on a language. So we have uh, 10 languages of instruction at Lauder. When they come to Lauder, they're already speaking language at an advanced level, and then they'll continue to work on language until they get to the superior or the fluent level over the two years as part of their studies at Lauder. So fully integrated joint degree, MA, MBA, in tandem with Wharton. And we have a small program. We have about 70 to 80 students a year, really international community, very internationally experienced group of students, um, and just an amazing group to be a part of. It's an amazing program. A couple of questions come to mind. Now, I know it's a much smaller part of the Lauder Institute, but are you also a joint program with the, the law school? That's right, yeah. So thanks for highlighting that. So we do have a joint degree with the law school as well. Each year we have a handful of students that do that. It's not really by design, it's a little bit by default. The law school only has, I think just less than 200 students a year over at Penn Law. At Wharton, I think now they're up to about 900. So there's just a lot more MBA students. Yeah. Uh, and the Lauder program was founded to really work really and fit in uh, specifically with the Wharton school way back when it was founded. 
our law school partnership is a little, a little bit more recent, but this year we actually, our class that's starting uh, this summer, we have three incoming JD students and we're, we're really happy to have them in the program. So we welcome them. We love to have them, but we just tend to have fewer of them than it makes okay. All right. And the other question, you said this 80 or 90 total, that the Lauder Institute only works with applicants interested in the dual degree. There's no MA alone. On its own. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of it's it's only a joint degree. So actually students take about two classes a semester at Lauder. So they take their normal Wharton course load or their normal course load over at Penn Law. Uh, At Lauder, we essentially kind of borrow the credits from the other degrees so that they can graduate with both. So some of the Lauder courses count towards the Wharton degree and vice versa. But no, we don't offer a standalone degree. It's only a joint degree program for students in one of the other graduate programs at Penn. And, and if one goes for the uh, dual degree program, you finish in the same two years as you exactly. would at yeah. the MBA right. or the same three years as you would with the JD. Exactly. So for a lot of, if you're doing the law school, you complete your first uh, year of law school totally at Penn Law, independently of Water, And then your second and third year would be as part of the Water program. At Wharton, you actually start Water first. So we have a summer term that preempts the Wharton program. And, and then you start the Wharton program in, in August each year. And then you're, you graduate on time with the rest of your Wharton class two years later. All right, great. Yeah. Has anybody ever tried to do an MBA JD with a lot of program? So I think it's a little bit hard. So actually, if you hard, do the MBA yeah. program, yeah, with the coursework, the requirements, and then also there's really a cap on the number of classes you can take. So you can do a joint degree, um, but I think triple is hard. We actually have an alum who I think did the MBA and water simultaneously. And then later on, after that was done, he actually went to law school and did three years of a JD program. So I think we have one person out of category, but I think it's almost impossible to do all three at once. Um, But we definitely have some students who are interested in both. The other partnership that you can do with Wharton is the healthcare management program. And we actually get the question a lot from applicants can I do water and the healthcare program? And you can't do both at the same time. However, you can do Wharton water and then take a lot of the healthcare courses. So for anyone who's interested in international healthcare, whatever the case may be, you can do Wharton and water and still take a lot of the healthcare coursework and programming. Okay. Now we last spoke in fall 2019, just as the coronavirus was starting to intrude on the world's consciousness. Right. Okay, it was, it was, we were hearing about it over there. It wasn't yet here. Right. Um, how has Wharton Lauder, a program that reveled in travel, right. adapted and adjusted uh, its plans for something, even more so than looking back, I'd like to look forward. Yeah, yeah. A little so, bit I looking mean, back, but mostly looking forward. How about right, that? Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, just like the rest of the world, we were particularly affected, I think, a lot in terms of um, graduate programming, because as you mentioned, so much of our programming is focused on on the ground immersions for our students. Uh, all of our students historically have done a summer immersion as well as other immersions over the two years of the program. So uh, March 2020, we put a halt to all travel, not just at Lauder, but throughout the university. But we were really thankful that we still had actually our two largest classes came through over those two years of COVID. We have 80 students in each of our current classes. Last summer, we were able to actually have the students come to Philadelphia and do sort of a Philadelphia immersion, which considering most of our students are not from Philadelphia, a lot of our students are from outside of the U.S. actually being able to come to campus. The classes were virtual, but we did have a lot of um, sort of Philly cultural experiences for our students. They were able to take tours. They explored some of the different ethnic neighborhoods in Philly. So there was a lot that they could do in Philadelphia. And then last year, of course, pretty much I think all of our students, not just at Penn, but 
and uh, most graduate schools were taking their classes virtually, but there were opportunities for students to meet outdoors. And essentially we, we, we really moved, I think seamlessly, most of our programming online. I think our students were still able to build, build culture, build community. Of course, the language classes, a lot of those things still took place. But the great news is that as of last August, our students were actually able to start traveling again. So we had about a year long pause on travel, which of course was not just us, not just Penn, but everyone really, you know? So it was inevitable that we would have to follow uh, suit as well. But last August, we had our first intercultural venture took place again, and that they started up again, I should say. And the students actually went to Alaska to study indigenous communities, which was great. And then in, a little later in the fall in October, we had a group of students go to Iceland to study uh, gender equity and women and entrepreneurship. So we were able, I think, one of the first groups at Penn and certainly at Wharton and Lauder to start traveling again. So our students have been doing smaller immersions, week-long immersions, and actually right now, over spring break, all of our students are traveling there. And I think we have about four locations around the world, uh, Senegal, Israel, Poland, Hungary, that's part of one trip. And then they're actually in India is the last location. So we're kind of fully ramped up. Uh, we've also had students traveling and doing research as part of their master's thesis project, the Global Knowledge Lab. And we're planning on our summer immersion taking place in region this coming summer of 2022 as well. So things are, I would say, fairly robustly turning to returning to normal for Lauder, maybe not fully the way they looked pre-COVID, but quite similar to the way they were in the past. All right. Now you mentioned a, a trip to Hungary and Poland. They obviously have almost a front row seat, maybe more of a mezzanine seat on the, the crisis, the invasion and the war in, in Ukraine. How is the crisis in Ukraine or the war in Ukraine, I should call it, affecting travel and how do you anticipate affecting the program? Now, it's it's obviously very hard to say because the situation is so fluid. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think all of us were, you know, cautious about the students traveling to Poland and Hungary during this time. They're in safe locations. You know, initially, you know, with the world and how, how volatile it is right now, we were concerned about COVID, COVID protocols. Of course, the students have to test and do everything they would have to test, do as part of the country requirements that they're going to. So that was our focus pretty much leading up to the trip. Then, of course, you know, the terrible situation with Ukraine. So our students still did go. And in fact, they're, they're blogging about their experience, which will be part of um, some of the social media posts that we have over the next couple of weeks about their experience going to these countries during this time. But right now, you know, we're trying to maintain um, as much normalcy, I think, as we can for our students. There have been, certainly not just at Water, but at Penn, different ways for our students to um, seek out support if they feel like they need to do that as part of what's going on. Of course, we have students coming from that part of the world or have family origins in that part of the world. And really everyone's affected, you know, at this point, yeah. um, whether it's directly or indirectly. So making sure we're there for our students in, in sort of an emotional support way, also making sure we educate our students. The last couple of weeks, I can't tell you the number of talks, sections, lunchtime talks that there have been at Water and throughout the university on the situation so our students can understand it better. We have alumni hosting events as well. So I think um, a strong focus on that region, but also I think a strong desire to have things be, you know, as normal as possible for our students now. And of course, going into the summer as well. It's interesting that it's Poland and Hungary. It just so happens my mother is Polish. My father was Hungarian. Oh, really? And, his, and his, his hometown, which he, he never visited after leaving it, was is now a part of Ukraine. Wow, wow. It's the I mean, West, very so western true. end of, of today's Ukraine, but that's just 
a footnote to our to our conversation. Yeah, of course. So uh, you, you're a perfect example of having family origins, you know, in that region, yeah, yeah. which so many Americans do, and you know, our students as well. Right. 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 Yeah. Now let's let's turn to the application process. How do you go through an application? Yeah. So the great thing with water is um, you can actually apply simultaneously with your application to Wharton. So you complete the Wharton application online, your Wharton essays, letters of recommendation, standardized test score, everything is the same on the Wharton side of the application. And then within the Wharton application, you indicate that you're also interested in applying to water. So it's a supplemental application built into the Wharton application online. For Lauder, we asked for a couple of specific things. So we asked for the results of your language score. So all of our students who apply to Lauder have to take something called the Oral Proficiency Interview or OPI. Um, it's administered by a third party company called the Language Testing Institute. So for anyone who's listening, you can find out all of that information on our website under admissions and language testing. It's actually quite a, a good resource. There are um, audio clips of language tests that have taken place in the past. So for applicants who are curious, hey, you know, what is a conversation in Spanish or Chinese going to be like as part of the OPI? You can, you can take a listen to some of the examples. And it also has some other helpful information on preparing uh, for the OPI. So our students take the OPI. It's a 30-minute phone conversation in language. In order to be admitted to water, students have to test at least at the advanced low level or above. Uh, in order to be admitted to the program in one of our 10 languages that we teach at Water, if they're, if they're interested in studying language at, at the Institute. If they're interested in applying to our global or our Africa general track, they have to test at the superior level in any language other than English. So essentially that means um, being fully bilingual. It can be in their native language provided it's not English. So really, that's, that's essentially for anybody who's a, a non-native English speaker who also, of course, is fluent in English. The global program is designed for students that have had fairly significant international experience already and are looking for more of a macro level of experience, um, studying uh, global studies from sort of that wider lens, looking at issues across region, that sort of thing. Our Africa general track is also for students who are fluent in any language other than English and are interested in focusing on the entire continent of Africa. Historically, we had called it the Anglophone Africa uh, track, but that was kind of a misnomer because our students were really studying the entire continent, not just English-speaking Africa. We also have an Africa Francophone track. So of course, that's for students who can test at the advanced level in French. And then again, with our 10 other language programs, which are regionally focused, part of our regional programs of concentration. Um, so the, the language component is important as part of the application, as well as over the duration of the two years in the program. So, uh, yeah. so does every lauder participant know at least two languages? Or well, is that I would not, say not every, really? every lauder applicant know, is, uh, has advanced knowledge of uh, a language in addition to English. So okay. English is, of course, the, the language of instruction at Wharton and a lot of classes at lauder. And then you also have to be either fluent or advanced in any language other than English or you know, one of our 10 languages that we teach at water. Yeah. Okay. And what are the 10 um, languages? I'm just curious. The, yeah. So maybe just to break it down by program of concentration is sure, probably more that's helpful. Fine. Yeah. So for Africa, as I mentioned, we have the French track, uh, the Francophone track. For our Europe program, we offer uh, Spanish, Russian, French, and German. So we have four languages for students in our European program of concentration. For Latin America, we offer Spanish or Portuguese. In East and Southeast Asia, we have uh, Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese, uh, or Korean. 
And then our last program of concentration regional program is the Samina track, and we offer Arabic or Hindi. So those are the 10 total languages uh, that students, so when you're applying to the program, essentially you're taking uh, an OPI in one of those 10 languages if you plan to pursue regional studies with language, or you're taking the OPI in any language other than English for our Africa general or global program. What if you, let's say, are interested in European business and you speak, I don't know, Italian or Romanian? Yeah, yeah. So we only have 10 languages right now. We are, are always adding more. A few years ago, we added Korean. Um, okay. We have seen interest, actually, from some of our applicants and perhaps a Vietnamese track. We're, we're getting a lot more interest with students in that uh, language profile. So not to say that we won't add languages, um, but right now those are our 10 languages. If you're interested, like if you come to Lauder and you're focused on the global program, you're already fluent in Italian, for example, you have the opportunity through the School of Arts and Sciences maybe to take um, advanced language in some of the classes that Lauder doesn't, or languages that Lauder does not teach. But pretty much um, we have a formula for Lauder. It's kind of those regional programs with uh, one of those 10 languages or the, or the Africa or general Africa track or global track, I should say. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the other components of the application are, um, we have two essays for Lauder. So we have um, our first essay asked you to talk a little bit about why you're interested in Lauder, why you're applying to your chosen program of concentration. And then our second essay is actually new for this year. We asked students to talk about, or applicants, to talk about what they might like to research as part of the master's thesis project at Lauder. And for those of who are listening, who are unfamiliar with that, it's called the Global Knowledge Lab. Uh, definitely another opportunity to go to our website, read about the GKL, as we call it, to learn a little bit more about the project. But basically, it's a master's thesis project. Students can write about almost virtually anything that they're interested in doing, so long as it relates to their program of concentration. We've had students write about uh, things coming from the, the arts and entertainment perspective, from the sports world. We've had students write about blockchain, finance, history. So some of our students have actually leveraged the GKL to uh, transition to maybe a job after doing Lauder. So we had a student a few years back who wrote about the MBA in China and was able to, through, through contacts and things like that, that he made take a job with the National Hockey League in New York. So he was really able to leverage that research. Um, we've had other students work on just passion projects. A few years ago, we had a student who was really interested in the history of North Africa, so wrote about that, even though that's not his personal background. So it's just um, an opportunity for our students to do master's research as part of the as part of the MA degree. It's it's definitely different from what you would do at the MBA program, um, and they'll actually do on the ground research as well, field research. And the second component of the GKL project is a group project. So when students are approaching the application, they don't need to know fully what they would like to research. They're not committed to it, but we want them to understand that the master's thesis project is a big part of water. You'll have a ton of support as you do this project over two years. But we want you to be thinking about what you might like to research. Show us that you've gone to the website, you've read a little bit about what the GKL is. So you're coming, you know, fully educated um, on what the pro what the the project is, and that it's a requirement of water while you're putting together your application. You mentioned that these questions are are new for this year, particularly the second one. I guess the the first one. Might have changed a little bit from yeah, previous years, but it's it's been pretty similar. Do you plan to keep the questions for next year or do you know yet? Yeah, so that's a great question. So we're not totally done this admission cycle. You know, I think it'll it'll definitely we might sort of revert to having one question that encompasses two parts, you know, because I think for our, our applicants sometimes, you know, of course at Wharton, there are two required essays as well, right. not huge essays. You know, I think they're about 400 words each. Same for Lauder, just about the same. 
But you know, we, we realized that um, for essays, when you're applying to a pro program, and presumably we're not the only program you're applying to, you know, we want to be mindful of the applicants um, or how much time and all that sort of thing that they're devoting to it. So I think that you know, knowing why you're applying to Lauder, your chosen program of concentration, and knowing what you might like to research as part of the GKL will still be part of the essay questions in some form. Whether they're duplicative of what we have this year, perhaps not, but I think you can you know, think about that as part of your applications down the line, but they will, you know, both be a part of that. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, now you were still discussing, um, you know, how do you approach the application? application. Yeah. Right. So OPI essays, those are really the two big things. We'll ask you to tell us a little bit about any international experience that you've had. So for us, we sort of look at that as three months or more outside of your home country. To make your application, it is a joint application to both programs. So I emphasize that because you are not, your application is not reviewed independently by two admissions committees. It's reviewed jointly. Um, and actually the Lauder Admissions Committee takes the lead with the review of your application overall. So myself, my colleague, our second year students who are trained to read applications, we will read your Wharton Lauder application from start to finish. And we're actually trained to evaluate your Wharton application as well. So we'll read your Wharton essays, all of that in tandem with your Lauder application. The good thing about that is you're only evaluated in the pool that, for the Wharton Water pool. So with Wharton and Water, it's, it's a highly self-selected group of applicants who have applied to the programs. You know, they know the language requirement. They've had some international experience. They want to do two degrees. So um, often people will be concerned that they're disadvantaging themselves by applying to Water, but really it's kind of the inverse. You're actually only applying amongst a, a much smaller pool of really highly, highly qualified applicants versus like the five, six, or even like 7,000 or whatever it is that Wharton gets. We do make a joint decision with Wharton. So we'll meet uh, as part of a joint admissions committee so that you're jointly offered admission to both programs. But Lauder does kind of take the lead with, with that application review. The last component for the Lauder application is actually after you've submitted for Lauder, there is a dedicated interview in addition to the Wharton team-based discussion. So you'll, you'll do the normal Wharton application interview process, all of that. And then at Lauder, you'll have a, about a 30-minute interview with a current student or an alum or a staff member specifically focused on your interest at the Lauder program. Okay, great. Well, that was, that was a fantastic overview. If you're in the midst of MBA applications, then you may appreciate an easy way to sort and keep track of your many resumes, letters, and documents. With the help of Interfolio, used by 1 million scholars worldwide, you can have a single home for all your application materials and a streamlined way to request and receive letters of recommendation. Receive 10% off with the promo code ACCEPTED22 at interfolio.com accepted. That's interfolio.com accepted with the promo code ACCEPTED22 for your 10% off. And now back to the show. All right, so a few questions on this. What gets you excited in a positive way about an application to Lauder? Yeah. So I think for our applicants, most of them are coming with, I wouldn't, not, not necessarily tons of international experience, but we do see that most of our students have had some international exposure. So it's sort of a given that they'll have that. But I think what excites me about an application is when they can sort of tie that in to the program, to their interests at Lauder, to their long-term goals. So kind of seeing how it's relevant, not just to you know, something really interesting on their resume or you know, interesting on their CV, but something that really is telling about what they'll bring to the classroom. 
So maybe you spent two years working in Egypt after you graduated from college, that's great. You know, maybe you were working, let's say you were doing consulting, amazing. But what did you learn that were sort of like the intangibles that you can bring to the classroom, to the class discussion? And really, I think what we're looking for at Lauder is evidence of kind of that cultural mindset, that global mindset that you don't always necessarily have, I think, as perhaps somebody who spends time outside of your own country. You can seek that out, or you could kind of live in that bubble that I think some people tend to do when they maybe they travel or work abroad. It's important, I think, to, uh, for, our, for our applicants to show evidence to the admissions committee that they're really culturally curious about the world. They see the value of culture and language, you know, and, and travel is an amazing experience, but I think learning from that and what you can bring you know, back to the classroom, maybe then take to your profession, you have those kind of intangible skills. I think that's really important. So bringing that to your essays, bringing that to your interview uh, discussion, I think is really important to show us that um, you have kind of the soft skills as well, in addition to that, maybe on the ground experience outside of um, your home country. Sounds like the, the ability to extract lessons, if you want, lessons is probably too strong a word, but to, to learn from the multicultural experiences yeah. that you've had. Exactly. Right. Okay. What is the wrong way to approach these questions? You know, it's something so simple, but we do tend to, we do see it. I think every year is folks who have not done their research, you know, who it's, it's such a simple thing to do is to spend your time reviewing the website, listening to a podcast, you know, reviewing a, a webinar or a video, really learn about the program. So when you're approaching the essays, you're telling us, you know, specifically why you're interested in the program, specific classes or faculty members or the opportunity of you know, what you really would like to research, showing that you've done your research on what the GKL project is. We have students or applicants who will write essays about how much they love to travel and how they've traveled to so many countries. And that's great, I love to travel too, but you really wanna make it a substantive argument about why a Master of Arts, you know, full degree program makes sense for you as part of your MBA studies, how you see that um, adding value to your student experience uh, as a business school student, how you see it adding value to your career goals and showing us that you really understand what water is. You know, I think some people just see Master of Arts International Studies, okay, you get to travel, but really showing us you understand the different components of the program is, is really important. All right. Now, what about the applicant who is multilingual, has international experience, the kind that you know, you're looking for, and global career goals, and he or she can make that great argument for why Wharton Lauder is perfect for them, but their undergraduate GPA is not something they're terribly proud of, or their test score isn't what they were hoping for. Right. Are they are they doomed? What can yeah. they do, if anything, <laughs> to improve the likelihood of acceptance with some with one or two even below average right. stats? Or are they is two below average stats just uh, too much to overcome? So I don't think any, hopefully no one is ever doomed at the out onset, you know, when okay. they apply to the program. Yeah. The great thing about Wharton, I think when, when we're taught on how to review Wharton applications in, in, in particular, and we're trained on that in a formal way, is really to look at the application from um, a read to admit perspective. You know, so my colleague- I remember, I remember Blair, Blair yeah. Mannix was on, on once and she was not that long ago and she was emphasizing that. We'll link to her interview also. Yeah, yeah. So- I think that's an amazing way to approach the application review from um, the standpoint of an admissions reader and also from the standpoint of an applicant. So definitely we're looking at what is amazing about this applicant. We are not looking for reasons to ding an applicant. We're looking for reasons to, to admit them. So 
you know, I, I've gotten this question a ton, you know, throughout my career from applicants. And I think, you know, nothing ever boils down to a GMAT or GRE score or a GPA. I think you need to think about your application and showing evidence to the committee that really what we're looking for when we talk about GPA or, or standardized test scores is that you can handle the rigor of the program. You know, and on the Wharton side, obviously the first term is very heavily quantitative. So can you handle the quantitative rigor? You know, have you taken calculus? Do you have some work that's gonna, preparatory work that's gonna help you handle that? And then on the water side, you know, can have you written a research paper or have you taken some arts and sciences? So we're, we're gonna look for those things for sure. Having said that, we absolutely have students in the programs who um, are you know, below the average in terms of their standardized test scores or with a GPA you know, that maybe they're not crazy about. I think two things that, or even maybe three things applicants can do is definitely utilizing the optional essay as part of the warden, part of the application. Don't just tell us you have a 2.5 you know, GPA and you know, a 550 GMAT and not give us any context. You know? So let us know, were you working you know, full-time while you were going to college? Maybe you were an undergraduate focused uh, major on you know, in history, but you've taken um, coursework post-back that you, know, you took accounting or some other you know, stats or other quantitative courses that would help you prepare for an MBA. That's a great thing to do, by the way. If you, if you don't have a strong math background, or you didn't take math classes as an undergraduate, you know, go online and take a couple of classes um, focused on, on quantitative work. So you can brush up on that skill set. Did you only take GMAT or GRE once? You know, if you only did, took it once and you didn't do great, well, it kind of makes sense to do it again, right? So you can improve on your score. So give us some color um, there if you if you're at all concerned about it. The other thing is most of our applicants, I would say it's fair that they have some quantitative aspect to their job. So highlighting that, you know, maybe you're not a great test taker, but maybe you're running numbers all day at work and you're doing really well. Well, then have your recommenders highlight that, you know, in their recommendations say, hey, this person is amazing in these quantitative capacities. So think about other ways in your application in which you can bring in those strengths that you think might you know, look a little negative on one part of your application. How you can offset that in other parts uh, of your application overall. So through your essays, recommendations, the optional essay, and then of course, perhaps taking some preparatory work, pre-MBA coursework to show us, hey, actually I can do this work. And I, or maybe I know it's, it's a little bit of a you know, weakness in my application and this is what I'm doing to show you I can, I can handle it. So definitely not doomed, um, but think you know, really through strategically about approaching the application so you can be successful. All right, I'm also gonna to mention to readers that just a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I did a show on getting accepted to graduate school with a low undergraduate GPA. And, and if you're interested, it's exhibit.com slash 458. So you can, you can check it out there. It basically incorporates a lot of what Kara has said in terms of uh, both providing context for whatever went wrong in your undergraduate record, and then showing that today those, those are no longer a factor for you and you really can handle the work. Showing that you can handle the work is just foundational. And that's the purpose really of the GPA and the test score in the okay. application process. All right, let's get back to Wharton Lauder though. Thank you for your response. It was a great response. And uh, I also loved when, you know, both from you and from Blair, when she was on that, uh, the, the review to admit kind of, kind of perspective on, uh, on application reviews and evaluations. Now, you mentioned before that if you, you know, the, that the Wharton Lauder applicant pool is much smaller than the Wharton applicant pool overall and that you can't be disadvantaged by applying to that program. But is it possible? I mean, if you review an application and you say, you know, this person would be great at Wharton, but I don't think Wharton Lauder is right. What do you, 
is that person then dinged or do you refer them to the regular MBA yeah, admissions? Yeah. No, I'm glad you asked that because we, we do get that question a lot as well. So actually on the application, when students, when applicants are working on the application, they can literally check a box that says, if I'm not admitted to water, would I still like to be considered for the Wharton only program? So be sure to check that box if you're still interested in Wharton. In reviewing the application, we actually have the ability to do exactly what you're saying. You know, this person for X, Y, and Z reason isn't maybe a fit for a lot of, but we'd be great for Wharton. So that's kind of the second place. And then thirdly, in the actual admissions committee, when we're going through every applicant, yeah. um, we'll maybe talk about, hey, this person really doesn't have international exposure. It's usually that, I would say, frankly, or we do have sometimes people who apply before they have their language score. They get their language score, and no matter how hard they work on it they're not able to get to our minimum score of advanced low. So then in that case, we really can't admit them for lauder, um, but they can still certainly be admitted for Wharton. So each year there are a handful of students who are admitted for Wharton only. Um, but I would say if you're a good fit for lauder and you've got a great, great Wharton application, there's really no reason why you wouldn't be unless it's something really glaring like the language score or something like that. But yes, you absolutely will still be considered for Wharton only if for some reason lauder isn't a fit. Okay, great, thank you. What is the louder interview like? You said it's a little bit separate from the yeah, TDD. Yeah, exactly. So probably a little bit more used to what our applicants might think, be thinking about your kind of typical MBA interview, but 30 minute conversation. Of course, now we've been doing them over Zoom for the last couple of years. Historically, we had done them on campus or really all over the world for lauder based on where our applicants are living. So if you're in Tokyo or London or Sao Paulo, we have alums, you know, in all of these places. So in that case, we would utilize our alumni. Right now we're doing them on Zoom. We'll see if that continues. So yeah, for lauder, it's really um, a couple of things. You know, why not? Most important thing for us is why not just Wharton on its own? You know, why lauder? What's key about the lauder program? Um, that you won't get through Wharton on its own, because of course at Wharton you can travel, there are sort of mini immersions that you can do, things like that, but through Lauder, what are you really looking to gain, why does the program make sense for you, we'll ask about short and long-term goals, we'll ask about your language skills, why you want to study a language if that's a part of the program for you, what you'd like to research, We'll ask for that evidence of kind of that cross-cultural mindset, you know, ask you maybe give some examples of times where you were dealing with maybe a, a cultural barrier that you had to navigate. So, you know, pretty typical straightforward questions. I don't think anything that would be too shocking, but definitely good for our applicants to prepare for that. Similar as you would to a job interview, I always tell people you want to come prepared, bring your resume, be prepared to talk about your strengths, about your gaps, about your goals. So pretty straightforward. Where do a lot of grads get jobs? Yeah, so we have um, kind of the usual suspects to some extent in terms of post-MBA outcomes for a lot of students with a caveat that a lot of our students are doing that work maybe for Amazon or McKinsey or in finance internationally, you know. So we have quite a lot of international students at Lauder who are maybe looking to stay in the U.S. for a couple of years, gain some more U.S. experience. So going to New York or to the West Coast, Chicago, wherever the case may be. And then, of course, we have students, well, whether they're from the U.S. or not, looking to work in region. I would say students come to Lauder for a couple of reasons. Some of them really want, really, really going to work in the two years because they want to do, you know, private equity in China or private equity in Nigeria. And that is totally a focus for them. So they focus, they work on their language. They work on all of these things to have that as a job. For some of our other students, it's private equity anywhere. It doesn't matter, you know. So maybe um, the industry or the role is the primary driver and location is second or third, you know. But our typical outcomes are technology. Amazon is the number one hire for Wharton and Water for the last couple of years. You know, not by a huge number, but um, definitely number one. After that, it's consulting, financial services. 
but we are seeing an increasing number of students go into social impact, into NGOs, into um, some development work. And then of course, each year we see more and more students, both at Ward and Lot, are interested in entrepreneurship. So that, I would say those are kind of the five areas that, that jump out. But again, you know, fairly similar to MBA, but we see about one out of every three Lauder students working outside of their home country after graduation. And of course, with a lot of the international students wanting to stay in the US for a few years. Right, right. Now, we recently asked listeners what they would like to ask admissions directors. Here are two questions from the same listener, an international applicant, but I feel they're particularly relevant for a program with such international reach. So um, we're gonna, I'm gonna pose them now. And one of them, I'm not sure is, is all that relevant to Wharton specifically, but uh, we'll, we'll go there anyway, okay? So the question is, why are most compulsory admission essay prompts so personal? Oh, that's a good question. Right. On a, well, and, then, and then the person adds, on a personal note, I cried trying to unearth memories I had buried so deeply so I could write truthfully. Yes, it was a worthwhile experience and reconciliation with the past for me, but it made me feel very vulnerable. Is vulnerability in an essay, whether perceived, real, or imagined, a good element? That's the first question. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about the vulnerability in particular, but I would say it's, you know, of course, when you're writing your essays, um, and I think not just for Wharton or Lauder, for any business school, you want to draw from your personal experiences. And I think uh, business schools are looking to bring in students, of course, that have had interesting professional experiences and have a strong aptitude for, for whatever they're looking to do afterwards. But they're also looking to bring in good community members. And I know that's a big focus for Wharton in particular. So bringing, you know, you don't have to tell us a sob story about your, your upbringing, you know, and the funny thing is I do feel, and maybe I'm showing my age, but I do feel like applicants now, we're seeing more and more personal stories come to light, whether they think that's what we want to read or not. I don't know. I feel, you know, some of our applicants now generationally, if they're just more maybe attuned to, to talking about themselves on a personal level, the way I feel years back, you wouldn't necessarily have seen, you know, people keeping it very professional. So I think it's good to have a combination, you know, um, it's not, you know, a therapy session. I don't think you need to, you know, go to the heart of something that you would find upsetting for you to talk about. I think you want to write about something, let's say, for example, for Wharton's um, second question, talking about community, you know, something that's really personal and important to you, um, but also something that has practical application to the community at Wharton, perhaps to also in some ways um, your professional experience, your backgrounds, your goals. So think of it in a practical or strategic way. I don't think you need to get so personal with us that it leaves you feeling uncomfortable. I think you want to feel like you wrote a good essay that shows part of your character and how you can bring that, that good character, that strong character to the graduate program. You know, for Lauder, I think our essays are a bit more sort of directive in terms of your academic experiences. But of course, you know, when we bring, we're bringing individuals to our, to our programs. And again, as I said, you want to make sure they're good community members, which is so important, you know, for the student themselves, for the classmates. And so I think some of those essays are looking to, to find that you're, a, you're going to be a good contributor. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. Now, the second question from the same individual. How do you consider international students who apply to universities and cannot pay at least 5 to 10% of the fees? Do you get irritated and wonder if they consider the university a charity home? No, definitely not. So, I mean, we have a ton of international students, not just, of course, at Lauder. We have students coming from all over the world, of course, where there's huge, you know, uh, disparate salaries. You know, where the average salary might be fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year versus, you right. know, whatever it is in the U.S. or, you know, in this part of the world. So, of course, but we do expect that students have done their research. And frankly, I don't know of a ton of students receiving 100% full funding to both programs. At Lauder, we're very lucky to be incredibly generously funded by the Lauder family. 
So actually for Lauder, most of our students are receiving um, the average award for fellowships is 40,000. And the cost of the program is like maybe 45 to 50 each year, depending on some of the travel components. So most of the Lauder students are actually receiving um, full or near to full funding for the Lauder program. You know, on the Wharton side, you know, you have to approach it as if you're applying to an elite business school, it's, it's a huge investment, right? Financial investment, it's also an investment in yourself. And I think, you know, kind of the studies that the, the programs have done, the other MBA programs as well, that within five years or something, the return on investment is really, you know, worthwhile. So you have to think about the, the financials of, do you want to take out a loan? The reality of getting a full 100% scholarship to a top MBA program, maybe you'll be lucky enough to do that. The average student isn't, you know, getting full funding. But, you know, when we're reading your application, we're not thinking about that at all. We're looking at the quality of your application. In terms of financing funding, that comes after you've been admitted to the program. You know, so for Lauder, every student who comes to Lauder is admitted to the program and receives at least a merit-based award. And then you have the opportunity at Lauder to, be, to apply for need-based funding on top of that. At Warden, they have generous funding, but again, not everybody is getting a full scholarship. So you have to come into it knowing that, you know, realistically, you're probably going to have to fund part of the program through loans or through your financing. Okay, great. Thank you. I think I should very much reassure our listener. What would you have liked me to ask you? Oh, gosh, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, you talked a little bit, you asked me a little bit about what makes me excited in reading an application. I think, um, you know, if I could, maybe one question is like, what's our ideal student? You know, I don't, you know, it's sort of unfair to say there is such a thing as an ideal student. I think something that maybe is probably more practical is what makes a successful student in the program. You know, what do we see from the application stage, which then makes them successful? And I think um, in talking about the community aspect or being a good community member. I think that's more and more important as the years go by, especially I think with what COVID taught us that you're gonna have unprecedented challenges all the time. You know, and COVID of course is this huge world um, crisis that kind of threw us all for a loop. And hopefully we don't experience something else like that in our lifetime, but for our students, um, once they're, you know, when they're in the program and long-term, they're always going to have challenges that are thrown their way, you know, whether they're big or small. So I think, Coming to a place like Morton Water, knowing that it's rigorous, you're going to be very busy, you're going to have a ton of demands, but still making an effort to be a good community member, to be um, a collegial, to be kind, to kind of have these um, intangibles that I think we don't necessarily look for as much, and maybe that come necessarily come through as much in an MBA application, I think are really important and continue to be even more important to show kindness, patience, understanding. Of course, with COVID in the US, we had a big societal upheaval with Black Lives Matter and other you know, sort of social crises, um, political change in the country. And I think everyone is feeling in general, you know, worn out from the last couple of years. So I think having that, you know, knowing that that experience has been really difficult for everyone, whether you're a student, a staff member at a university, a professor, and coming to the program and coming with the, the mindset of being a good community member, somebody who's going to make a good contribution, be positive, patient, be kind. I think those are the things that we're, I personally am looking forward to see in applicants, in addition to, of course, having strong academic professional background 
kind of having some of those um, personal skills, you know, or personal qualities that I think can set you apart, especially in today's world where everything is so challenging. Right. I really want to thank you for, for adding that. It goes back to the concept of community that has come up several times in our, in our conversation today. So that was a, a great note upon which to end. And I really want to thank you for joining me today, Kara. Uh, where can listeners and potential applicants learn more about the Warden Institute's joint MA, MBA, and MAJD programs? Yeah. So you can learn definitely more about water by going to our website, which is water.wharton.upenn.edu. Okay, you can we'll just, link to that. Yeah, you can just, um, you can just Google the Water Institute and hopefully you'll find us that way as well. All right, great. Uh, thank you again, Kara. And listener, thank you too for joining Kara Keenan Sweeney and me for a 465th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, I have a suggestion for you. Subscribe to Emissions Straight Talk. That way you won't miss any future shows. A quick reminder, master the paradox at the heart of graduate admissions by downloading our free guide, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. Grab your copy at exhibit.com slash F-I-S-O for Fitting In Standing Out. Again, that's exhibit.com slash F-I-S-O. Thanks again for coming. This is Mission Straight Talk produced by Accepted and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>